Welcome. I am so glad that you chose to meet with God's people today. As we begin to open up his word, it's, it's in the middle of a time where we've just been worshiping and praising our God's name. But folks, it, this has been quite a week. It hasn't it? Sometimes, sometimes weeks kind of blur. But the Taliban's resurgence and the plight of the Afghan people, coupled with the death and the destruction of the Hades, uh, of the Haitians in Haiti. I gotta be honest. This week felt different. There's more turmoil all over our world. I get it. And there's issues that continually come up. And injustices that are all over. But this week felt different. Tears and prayers continued to fill our days, and it was just harder to do normal. For me, it was harder to do normal. To sleep in an air-conditioned home, to have well-prepared meals, to fill up my car with gas. Everything seemed different. I would interact with different neighbors or merchants. And my mind was just wondering, do, do they know Jesus? Do, do they have hope like I have hope? I think that's why we've been in the book of Acts. Honestly, it is a biblical history of the church. And God continually proclaims that his solution for this hurt and messed up world is the gospel and the church. And if that doesn't blow you away, the gospel, the good news that absolutely transforms people, changes their behavior, and gives you different perspective along with eternity and the church the church that's often fragmented the church that's also often uh, discombobulated a church that sometimes doesn't listen to God and isn't passionate but that's God's plan. The gospel, the good news, and the church. Paul's love for the church and his passion for lost people to hear the gospel continues to inspire and convict me as I open up these scriptures, especially in the book of Acts. In Acts, Paul was sent to proclaim the gospel and to plant churches. But if you were with us last week, life got exceptionally complicated for Paul. 
in the, in the latest of the Jerusalem riots and the incarceration of Paul by the Roman authorities only really changed one of his priorities. Let's pray before we open up the word today. Father, we do know you are God. You are creator God. You are wise God. You are our father. You are our daddy. You are our judge. Lord, we come to you sometimes just to speak truth. Sometimes just to affirm your character and your quality because we're confused. We need faith. We need encouragement. We need strength. We need perspective. And so we come to you and we ask you for all of these things. But Lord, once again, our world's been rocked. We've seen so many changes over these 18 months and, and have tried to juggle life and put things in perspective and ask you for, for guidance. But some days and some weeks overwhelm us. Sometimes with personal issues and sometimes with national issues and sometimes with world issues. But, but God, we are gathering here together today to praise your name, to hear from you, for you to recalibrate our thinking, for you to energize our steps. We are asking you to do that. We pray, Father, for the Afghan people. We don't know how to pray. We ultimately don't know what news is right, what news is is perverted, but we know they're hurting. Father, I thank you for even people like Anne Graham Lotz who help us pray, who give us words when we sit down on our couches and, and hold our arms up. So Lord, with, with her words, I pray this. Creator of the universe, ruler of all, Lord of nations. Are you not judge of all the earth? If my heart is broken and shattered over what's taking place in Afghanistan, what must your great heart feel? So I come to you and I plead your mercy for your people who are now hiding in basements, in caves, and in any hole they can find, knowing that the demonic forces will not stop until your people are found and slaughtered. So I pray for your people followers of Jesus to be supernaturally protected and delivered 
send your angel armies to surround your people as you did for Elisha. Bind the enemy so they cannot locate your people in hiding. Didn't you teach us yourself that when we pray, we are to pray that we would be delivered from evil? So Lord, deliver your people by any means, please. But if you do not, and if you allow your people to be slaughtered, then I would pray that you would give them dying grace to each and every one of them, men, women, children. Fill them with your supernatural peace. Give them a vision of heaven opened for them. As you did for Stephen in Acts chapter 7, Lord, open the eyes so they can see you standing at the right hand of the Father, waiting to welcome them home and give them a martyr's crown. And then I pray, yes, I do, Lord, for your fullness of your wrath to fall on the evil perpetrators, whether they are in cabal or Tehran, or Washington, D.C. Holy God, avenge your people. I know you hear this prayer, Lord. And I will wait, and you will answer. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Surely it's time for you to be glorified in all the earth. And we pray this for your sake of your great name. Lord, we also think of Haiti. We ask for mercy and grace, especially for the people of Lakai and Jeremy. Lord, there's been destruction and death, diseases rampant. The, governor is, the government is in chaos. There's been flood and there's famine. There's no water. Your church is in Haiti. They don't gather in buildings like this. They're looking to you. Give them grace. Father, we thank you for Converge, our denomination. We have churches there, Lord. We can partner with churches. We can give of our offerings. And God, may it ease some pain and encourage the church. Don't let our comforts blind us to pain. Use our offerings. Lord, we, we pray for other churches. We pray for those around the world, and we know, God, that there's Grace Point and Meadowland and Wonder Lake, and we pray, dear God, that you would use those people in those congregations to be salt and light. 
Father, I end my prayer this morning using some of the songs of the songwriter, some of the words of the songwriter that we just sang. We know that you are over everything. We know that you reign now and forever. We know that you are Lord and Master over fear and over shame, over anxiety, over troubles, over pain, over sickness, over disease. You are on the throne and we praise you. We know you reign. We know we need to hear from you today. So we ask that that would happen. We ask, dear God, that you would use your word, you would use the early church, you would use the Apostle Paul to ignite and encourage and strengthen each one of us. We pray these things in the name above all names, Jesus. Amen. I am, <laughs> thank you. I encourage you to read through Acts 22, verses 24 through 26, to verse 32. It is not that I feel like we're getting at the end of Acts and there's nothing else to say. But even as I chatted with Brendan, as we're kind of looking at this, I, I just felt that all this comes together for some reason, and it's, and it's needed to be shared in that perspective. But there isn't any way that I'm going to be able to do this text justice. And literally, I, I think it might take 10 minutes for you to read this, even after today, and just maybe put some of this back into perspective, and so you can mark your Bible up, so you can hear from God again in a different way. So it's just a little over three chapters. It's 127 verses, and I would encourage you to do it. But, but this morning, I am going to tell Paul's story, highlight some verses, and share some convictions and lessons that I think the Almighty God wants us to learn. If you've been with us in our studies, and, and even if you haven't, you're going to have to trust me, I guess, on this one. But last week, we left the Apostle Paul on a staircase preaching. He had just caused another riot. The Romans had just rescued him. He was going up the staircase into the fortress, into where he was going to be incarcerated. But right before he, well, was taken to the dungeon, shall we say, he said, can I talk to the people again? The very ones who were beating him, the very ones who caused the riot. And he says, I just, the, the only hope they have is the gospel. Can I tell them again? And we look at this and we think, Paul has lost his marbles. What is wrong with you? 
But nothing was wrong with him. It's wrong with us. We sometimes see riots and, and inconveniences as a reason why not to share hope. But Paul didn't, and he's on these stairs, and he starts preaching, and it seems like they're listening. How cool is that? Until the very end. They didn't like some of the words that he said, and, and at that moment, everything went south. The Roman soldiers then bring Paul into the compound and prepare to beat him because they want to know why these people hate him so much. And as they tie him down and as they lift up the rods, Paul asks a simple question. Do you always beat a Roman citizen without a trial? <laughs> Wait up on the trump card, Paul. Okay? I don't know if he just had, he was done with it or what. But I know this, they shivered. They go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because you don't do this to a Roman citizen. They were guaranteed a trial. And so all of a sudden, things changed. The next day, Paul appears before the high council, the Sanhedrin, with the Romans present. The Romans are just trying to find out what is going on. So if you would, you can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 23. I'm going to read the first six verses. Again, we're not going to cover a lot of verses, but I think this will help us understand. So here's Paul. The next day, standing in front of the Sanhedrin, the judges again, and with the Romans watching very closely. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul begins, Brothers, <laughs> I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him or whack him or punch him in the mouth. Folks, Paul's just talking. He's addressing with respect. The next moment, some dude wails on him. But Paul said to him, God will, will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that. Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say, you must not speak evil of your rulers. Paul realized that some of the members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he, so he shouted, brothers, I'm a Pharisee as were my ancestors. And I'm on trial today because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Whoa. Just a very interesting note. And don't want to spend a lot of time here, but, but Paul justifiably lashes out against the violence. This is supposed to be a religious court. This is not how the Old Testament or God's ways were. But then he apologizes right away. While Paul spoke truth, and while his cause was just, he did regret speaking to the high priest in such a way. 
if you just step back just a little bit, you say, well, didn't you know that was the high priest? Or why did you lash out? Like, Well, there's probably a few reasons here. But one thing we know is that it didn't register. He did not know the high priest was the one that gave the order, because you could tell that. But it's interesting, Paul's response to authority. And his response was respect and humility. I got to say that we as Americans struggle here. And I also need to say that we as people in the church struggle here. Maybe our culture has crept in and, and we have all this, hey, it's my right. I have the right to a Big Mac. I do have that right because I deserve it today. And I get told that every time I watch that ad. I deserve it. <laughs> okay. But we kind of work in our culture that we deserve a lot of things. We do. And we forget that Jesus' way is a different way. That's all. Jesus did not come to get accolades. Jesus came to serve. And so I think our culture struggles with respect and humility. I also think it's a lack of faith in God. And that has grown. We think it is our job to fix America, the church, your pastor, whoever you want. And I do think there's accountability, and I do think there's ways to do that. But one of the things that stick out to me here is Paul, even though he was right, apologized and recognized that God is sovereign. It's going to come over and over and over again. God's in control. God's going to fix this situation. God's going to judge it. And it was up to Paul to apologize. Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus, which quickly divides that group because Sadducees, I'm sorry, in the Sanhedrin, there were Sadducees and there were Pharisees, and, and they just really disagreed on the resurrection. But Paul did indeed point out the real issue behind his trials. It was a theological dispute his belief in Jesus as Messiah and his resurrection separated him from the rest of the Jews. And throughout his defense speeches, he constantly brings up the resurrection. Well, you can read, but things got a little violent right there, and Paul is soon rescued by the Romans. The crowd dissipates, and that night, I'd love for you, look at chapter 23, verse 11. This is what God said to Paul. Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you had been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must also preach the good news in Rome as well. You know, we can only speculate what was going on in the apostles' mind before Jesus comforted them. But we can assume Paul was at a low point in his life. He knew he was going to suffer, but he came into this, and over and over he's getting beat, he's getting tossed around. 
things are just not going the way that he had hoped. Now, while Jesus' words are here specifically for Paul in this moment, we can find some really encouraging words. The Lord knows our situation. The Lord is with us. The Lord is for us. The Lord isn't finished with us yet. Paul, I know you love telling people about your transformation. Hang in there, buddy. You are going to get to do it in Rome. And what he didn't know, he was also going to have an opportunity to talk to two governors and a king before he heads off to Rome. Let that truth sit in for a bit. The Lord knows our situation, no matter what you're in. The Lord is with you, and the Lord is for you. And if you get up this morning and you are breathing, I believe God has an assignment for you. Now we're going to move quickly here, but the hatred of of Paul grows, and a plan comes up with those who hate him to kill him. In fact, there's 40 people that make an oath. We're not going to eat, we're not going to drink until we kill Paul. Well, God sovereignly protects Paul, and the governor responds. He gathers up 200 soldiers once he finds out about this plan. 200 spearmen, 70 soldiers on horses, and walks Paul up to Caesarea to safety. God is sovereign, and he moves governments at times in order to accomplish his purpose. As Paul gets up to Caesarea, he he soon stands before Governor Felix. Now, we're going to be talking about a bunch of names here, and I I get it, but but hopefully you're going to follow a little bit because it will make sense. Felix kind of went up through the ranks. He was a freed slave. He was violent, immoral, and a most ineffective governor or leader. Well, that's who was in charge. Paul no doubt understood this. And he probably questioned and said, again, how am I going to get justice? How is this whole thing going to work, God? Well, the high priest and his entourage followed him with legal counsel. They still wanted to do their accusations. And Paul stood up again in front of Felix and in front of these Jewish religious authorities and talked about Jesus because that's what he does. Look at chapter 24. As I said, we're, we're moving through here, but chapter 24, verse 14. He says, but I admit in front of this crowd, especially to Felix, I admit I follow the way And in that context, I admit I follow Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. I've already talked about him, which these folks call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe in Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have and that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. He goes, I just want you to know, We're pretty much in line of all of our thinking except for one thing. I follow Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. The Jews are upset. 
because they don't all believe in the resurrection of the dead. In verse 21 of that same chapter, Paul shouts out, I am on trial before you because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. This is what's separating us. The, the leader I'm following was crucified. He was crucified because he died in my place. But now he is alive and he's ruling and he reigns. Well, Felix ends the hearing, keeps Paul in custody or in jail, and gives him some limited freedoms. It's interesting, though, what happens is that there was enough said that perked Felix's interest in Paul. And the scriptures tell us that Felix and his wife, Drusilla, sends for Paul. It's in chapter 24, starting in verse 24. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Jesus Christ. He reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming of judgment. And look at Felix's response. Felix became frightened. He said, go away. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. Very interesting. Paul comes back. He tells them about his relationship with Jesus. He talks about righteousness, which I would interpret as sin. He talks about self-control, which would, in my opinion, look like you need to repent. There's unrighteousness and there's repentance that is needed. And God is going to judge all, including you, governor. All of a sudden, the governor got a little bit afraid. He literally sends Paul away. He says, hey, I'm going to call you back when uh, we can talk some more. Paul was sent to his room, and from this time on, try to remember this. He was out of frontline ministry for two years. He's listening to God. He's obeying God. He's at a critical time in his life. And he gets sent to prison for two years. <laughs> so at the end of chapter 24, we see another illustration that God is in control even when you're going through trials. If you find yourself in a perplexing season, take comfort. God has not forgotten you. He didn't forget Paul, but he sat in prison for two years. So many times when we go through trials, so many times when we go through hard times, most of the time it's poor me. What I want to encourage you is that as God, who is the sovereign kings, allow these things to happen, that he gives us opportunities to represent him and lessons to be learned. <laughs> Those are great questions to ask. God, I don't like what you're doing. But what opportunity do I have to proclaim good news? And what lessons are you trying to teach me? You see, our Lord is sovereign, and we can and should trust him, even when we're perplexed, because the scriptures are clear. We live by faith. We're going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you, God. I'm going to put foot in front of foot, and we're going to do tomorrow together.
Well, then we find out as we buzz through this section that Governor Festus replaces Governor Felix. Yeah, this, this is getting interesting. Now, what was really interesting as you read through this is that as soon as Governor Festus takes over, for again, there's reasons why Felix or why Rome called Felix away, but now Festus is here. Paul's case quickly became a priority for Festus. Within three days of coming to office, he went down to Jerusalem and met with the religious leaders and tried to find out what's going on. A few days later, he asked the religious leaders to come back, and he begins a trial. Once again, the religious leaders come in and try to accuse Paul. This is getting old. It is. Paul defends himself and at this moment realizes this is not going anywhere. First of all, Felix didn't have the guts to make a right verdict. I'm sensing Festus doesn't have the guts to make the right verdict. He goes, you know what, I'm going to the higher power. I appeal to Caesar. And because he was appealed to Caesar himself, the governor says, you can go. We're going to let Caesar take care of this. Now, there are a lot of moving parts here. There are, if I can put this in perspective, the apostle has now addressed the crowd in Jerusalem in just chapter 22. He addressed the Jewish council in Jerusalem in chapter 23 and the Roman governor Felix in Caesarea in chapter 24. He will now briefly address the new Felix, who's named Festus, in chapter 25. But this sets the stage for Paul's final address before he gets shipped off to a guy named King Agrippa. So King Agrippa arrives several days after Paul's appeal to Caesar. King Herod Agrippa II arrived with his sister Bernice. They came to, gave, to give respect, all right? Now let me just briefly talk about Agrippa, because this will be interesting to some of you anyway. Agrippa II ruled the northern part of Palestine and was the last of the great, shall we say, Herods, especially in the New Testament history. His father, Agrippa I, was the Herod who killed James and arrested Peter back in Acts, um, in, in, our, in our lessons in Acts. His great uncle, Herod Antipas, figured prominently in the Gospels. He was the guy who executed John the Baptist. His great-grandfather was Herod the Great, who ruled at the time of Jesus' birth to murder all the boys under two years old. So this is the family we're talking about, all right? Not one of your um, really um, uh, folks you want to get tight with, all right? But Festus discusses Paul's case with the king, mostly because he said, you know what? The guy wants to go to Caesar. I don't even know what charges to give him. I don't know what he's done wrong. He's not done anything wrong. These Jews are driving me crazy. And since you're a Jew, why don't you tell me what to write? So Agrippa goes, I 
want a personal audience with Paul. I got to hear from Paul. All right? This is really important. So in Acts chapter 25, at verse 23, so the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Let me try to paint this picture, but this scene is probably one of the most riveting in the New Testament. They entered into this auditorium with great flair and great pomp. The spectacle, literally, we don't get all this, but probably was breathtaking. All these officials, all these robes, all these dignitaries. Can you imagine Paul salivating as he walked into this place? He never would have been able to address all of these people, and even Agrippa. There's no way this wouldn't have happened, or this would have happened by himself. This was God moving all the pieces and loving these people and saying, I'm going to send my guy Paul. He's going to tell you about Jesus, and I hope you respond. Do you get this? So Paul recognizes the opportunity, and let me say it this way, respectfully shares his story again, again. This speech that Paul gives is powerful. It's gospel-filled. It's inspiring. It gives important insights on how we can talk about Jesus to others. So Paul starts off in the midst of this whole thing. He says, King Agrippa, with great respect, please be patient. My story is important, and it's going to go a long time. All right? So Paul told his story with great detail of his encounter with Jesus again. He did. And one point, and this is hilarious, Festus is also sitting there. He is addressing King Agrippa, although everybody's hearing. Festus shouts out. He goes, Paul, you are insane. You are a crazy man. Why do you keep talking about this Jesus? But what is so cool right here is that Paul takes that comment and shifts it right over to King Agrippa. So turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 26, looking at verse 25. This is Paul. But Paul replied, I am not insane. Most excellent Festus, what I'm saying is sober truth. And King Agrippa knows these things. Kind of talking in third place with King Agrippa right there, okay? Some strategy. For I know that all the things I just talked about are very familiar. It was done in the public. I am not inventing any of this story, he says. Then he, he says this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Now, you have to stop right there. What he was saying, and it may not even come through, we weren't there, but this was a pretty crucial time, a critical question. 
Hey, King Agrippa, you know everything that I've said. You know that the Old Testament talked about the Messiah. You know that Jesus was raised from the dead. You know right now. Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe what I just said is true? He's actually asking him, do you want to believe in Jesus? Do you? This is a great time, King Agrippa, in front of everybody. And then what he says is this. Do you think, Paul, you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And Paul, without skipping a beat, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone in this audience, all these big cheeses, become the same as I am except for these chains. I don't want you guys to be prisoners, but I want you all to know Jesus. It's changed my life. I am telling you, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Whoa, the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Paul was passionate he hoped all would come to faith to be like him. Well, not a prisoner. Paul tries to persuade King Agrippa to bow before King Jesus. Paul is not pouting. He's not complaining. He's not trying to negotiate a deal with the king. In the midst of the great crowd, he is sharing good news and gospel. Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus all meet later on. They say, you know what, Paul's innocent. Yeah, no one says they responded to the gospel. But they said if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, <laughs> we wouldn't have to send them. Wow. I think there's two big takeaways here. Two huge things that I'd like to just focus on as we close. First of all, this portion of narrative demonstrates the sovereignty of God. And that's something we got to understand in our day. We sometimes think God isn't working when we don't see visible signs of his sovereignty. But never mistake the lack of the spectacular for the inactivity of God. His quiet invisible hand is always at work. Don't you marvel at God's sovereignty in this story? Little things, opportunities, over and over and over, and say, whoa, that's really cool how God worked back then. What I want to say is, God's doing that right now. D do you know that? God's moving the chess pieces. God has given opportunities for us to proclaim the good news and be his body, united and focused, moving forward inside and outside these walls. And I think God gives us courage to share our story and to speak the gospel. Sometimes we put Paul in a category and say, well, you know what, the guy just had guts. I just don't think so. Well, I think Paul had a personality. Maybe he had some of that. But I am so convinced 
than anybody who walks with God and has met God and, the, and God has changed their lives from the inside out and that God is giving them courage to be kinder and, and wiser is that their actions are going to show. They're going to love people differently. They're going to trust God in a new way. But God gives us courage to share our story. And just very quickly, it's even up on the screen. In just chapter 26, we get a whole clinic on how to do that. He addressed unbelievers and unfriendly audiences respectfully. He wasn't a jerk. He expressed what it was like not to believe. His aim was to exalt Jesus, not himself. He didn't promote himself. He shared the need for and the benefits of the gospel with all kinds of people, even those who had just beat him. And I'm not sure if you caught this, but he prayed for lost people. He prayed that God would work. We prayed this morning because the effectual prayer of righteous people make big differences. We as a church will be a church of prayer. We will continually meet to pray and to trust God and to affirm his character and to ask him to work. Agrippa tragically, as far as we know, maybe he did, but tragically rejected Israel's Messiah. For Paul, it was time for him to go to the next step. He had been faithful. He was faithful in his three missionary trips. He was faithful on his way to Jerusalem. He was faithful in the riots of Jerusalem and in the prisons of the Roman government. And now God says, go to Rome. I want you to go to Rome. I want you to share good news. And you're going to see, he's going to share it on a ship. He's going to share it in a shipwreck. And he's going to share it as he eventually gets to Rome. You see, my friends, God's mission is unfinished. How odd, how weird that we have the assignment, all of us. You may think God is messed up. Why would he give me? But he did. We're to walk with him. We're to love him. We're to be able to interact with people with the hope that God has given each one of us. And I got to say this. There are so many opportunities to talk about who God is and what God means to you today because of all the things that we're praying about. So, tell your story of God's grace. If it's not real, spend some time. If you don't know 
or have experienced or, or come to faith, do that today. At the very end, we're going to have some folks who will pray with you, encourage you to start this journey, and then trust God. There's so many things that don't make sense. And you're going to have more weeks like we had this week of tears, of discouragement. But God is in charge, and it will give us hope and strength. I hope that encourages your heart. I, I hope the Spirit is convicting you in different areas. And I want to encourage you to come on back next week as this adventure continues. Remember, this whole series, the book of Acts, is called Unfinished. Unfinished. We have the opportunity and the privilege to finish what Jesus started until he calls us home. That, that's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way, Lord, that you over and over and over and over display your control. Father, we are weak in faith, and we ask you to give us more. We are pathetic in witness, and we ask you, Lord, that you would change us from the inside out and that we would just naturally and normally just talk about the change that happened when you came into our lives. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.